Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Topical Brainstorm. I'm Christian, I'm here with Garrett. Hey, how's it going? Yes, can you the audience? The audience, I never duh. Know. Okay, <laughs> hopefully they're doing well. We are going to discuss the next chapter of Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell today. I shouldn't turn around, I should face the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really enjoying this book so far, how about you? I also am a big fan. It's uh, very interesting. It is. I feel like I've heard people talk about this book more than I realized. Yeah. Like little tidbits here and there that yeah. I've heard before. I, well, I think a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people talk about this chapter that we're going to discuss. Yeah. Um, just in passing, really. Yeah, and the chapter is, chapter two, titled The 10,000 Hour Rule, which, like Garrett said, that's something I've heard many times. People just throw out. Oh, you know what they say, you need 10,000 hours of practice to get completely, he, used, he uses a couple terms, but master class or world class at some ability or some skill. And that's kind of what he digs into here in this chapter. And the first example he uses is Bill Joy, who I've probably heard his name before, but he's not nearly as famous as... I don't think I'd ever heard his name. Yeah, maybe I hadn't, but... He's not nearly as famous as a lot of the people in his same industry, such as Steve Jobs or... Who Bill are the other Gates. ones? Bill Gates. And... I mean, that's Bill Joy was uh, one of the first, basically, computer scientists and credited with a lot of things, a lot of computer programs he designed that are still in use today, and he's kind of known as, I don't know if I'd say the father of the internet, but I kind of. Pretty much. Yeah. He wrote the code that allows people to actually surf the web, which is... Yeah. You know. Something we do every single day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and no one knows who the guy is. No. Is interesting. Which is strange. But he... So the reason that Malcolm Gladwell talks about Bill Joy is that Bill Joy was able to... He went to Michigan State. Not Michigan State. Michigan University in 1981 or whatever year it was. 71. But... He was, Michigan was at that time, essentially one of the only places in the world that had one of the most advanced computers. And I didn't write down in my notes the, the details, but he talked about how originally you had all these punch cards and computer programmers had to make this big punch card and then feed it to the computer operator, which was a guy's job to feed them through the system. And the computer could only do one of those things at a time. And then Right around this time, Michigan got a computer that could do multiple at a time, and it essentially made it possible for him to just program for hours on end. Yeah, they got rid of the punch cards. You were able to type it in directly. I think it was called time sharing. Yeah. You could time share on a computer, which meant that there was this giant mainframe computer somewhere and just a bunch of other computers tied into it. Uh and it made coding a lot easier. And because it was easier, it allowed Bill to sit there for hours and just code instead of 
I feel like if he had to use the cards, he would not have been able to accumulate the 10,000 hours needed of practice to become the Bill Joy that wrote the code that allows us to get on the internet. Yeah, and that's essentially what this chapter was about. It was a lot of examples of people that are the best in the world at what they do and how a lot of times we chalk that up to innate ability or just genius or we chalk it up to that they just, well, that that basically, the talent or um, that it's just like, uh, he used the word meritocracy a lot of times we think things are pure meritocracies and they really aren't because of opportunities that people had um, that helped them. Yeah, that's true. The, the way he describes it, though, is you have to have the 10,000 hours of experience in order to become an expert in whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, so where we often think things are a meritocracy is when we don't think about all the things that helped this person get their 10,000 hours in. Bill Joyce, for example, was the fact that he just happened to be in Ann Arbor um, at one of the only universities that had this time-sharing function, functional computer uh, and that allowed him to get the 10,000 hours. I mean, there's still a lot of work that goes into it, at least 10,000 hours worth of work, but oftentimes we're helped along by different circumstances that allow us to get the 10,000 hours. Sports is a good example because if you're really good at something at a young age or you're bigger than somebody else that's around your same age, as would be the case in Canadian hockey, for example. If you're born in the first three months of the year, then you get put into a special team that allows you to get more practice than the person that maybe not as, maybe is not as big as you. Yes, and yeah, I don't think I explained it very well, but Garrett hopefully corrected. Yeah. <laughs> Another example was Bill Gates. And he lists out at least nine pretty unique opportunities that Bill Gates had that very few other children did, right? And not to say that any single child who got put in Bill Gates' situation could have become him, but, and to list off a few, Bill Gates went to Lakeside Elementary in 1968, which was somehow that elementary... And not somehow, it was like the parents, you know, paid for it and they figured it all out. But that elementary had a time-sharing terminal in 1968. Bill Joy got that in 1971 at college, but Bill Gates had that three years earlier in elementary school. Or maybe it was junior high. I think it was junior high. Either way, he was a child. Yeah. Um, But then once they, like, ran out of money, the mothers put more money to pay for the computer fees... Once that money ran out, um, one of the parents happened to work at a company that needed people to code on the weekends and to test some sort of software, and Bill Gates got into that. The next one was that Bill Gates found out about um, ISI, which is what it was called, 
and that company needed someone to work on their payroll software, so he got to just tinker with that for a long time. <clears throat> and they also, him and his buddy found a place that had free computer time from 3 to 6 in the morning, and he'd go and do that constantly. Essentially, all these things had to line up for Bill Gates to get those 10,000 hours. And although he was obviously passionate about it and had to put in a lot of work, it wasn't like every kid in the world had that ability or those opportunities to, to do that. And that was what obviously made it so he could get those 10,000 hours in by the time he was a young adult. And from there, he was able to, to do what he did and became Bill Gates. Yeah. One of my favorite examples from the chapter was Mozart, who was, you know, a child prodigy when it came to music and composing. But he brought out, or he talked about Mozart's music and how it actually wasn't even that good until about 21 years of age. And that's when Mozart wrote his first piece that we all know, which is, I think, the ninth? Is that the... No, what am I thinking? They called it a con concerto or something. Con a concerto, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to say I it. I don't think it was his ninth, though, because he probably had to write eight before that, unless well, they're yeah, counting the ones that he wrote as a six-year-old. I but. think, wasn't it his ninth that was, like, actually good, though, that people... I think, yeah, play? that's a famous one. Right, unless that's Beethoven, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. Anyway, my my childhood piano teacher would be ashamed. I, I don't know. know. <laughs> uh, anyway, and that's just because it took Mozart that long to get the ten thousand hours of experience needed, even though he was seen as a child prodigy even back then. He still wasn't that good until he had gotten his experience and his uh, hours in which I found interesting. A... I agree. I, I'd i heard that before, right? Mozart, Mozart started writing music when he was six. And you're like, yeah. oh, he was, just, he was just talented, and there was no work that went into it. But he talks about how his work when he was six was oftentimes just a copy of other people's music. Yeah. Like plagiarized in a yeah. sense. And also his father wrote it down for him. Yeah. Which... His father obviously could have altered things in that process and made it sound better or whatnot. But so that was, yeah, almost encouraging, right? That it was like Mozart didn't just have that ability. He was put in an opportunity where his father let him or made him whatever practice and write music at the age of six. But it was because he did it for those 15 years till he was 21, all those hours he put in allowed him to become. You know, it's a name that everyone knows in music. Yeah. Because of all that time you put in. Yeah. One thing I really enjoyed about this chapter was that he gave us a list of the 100 most wealthiest people in the world that have ever lived and how a huge percentage of them, I can't remember how many, it was like 10, I think 10, it was like, a list of 75 wealthiest 75 people ever. Was it 75 or 45? It was 75, 75 and 14 of them four, came from. 14 of them came from the same decade. And the same country. And the same country, yes. Uh, and that was, I believe, what decade was it? Yes, the 1830s. Uh, and this is because this is when 
the people that were born in that area or in that decade were allowed to take advantage of the Industrial Revolution because they were born at just the right time. They were just able to capitalize, you know? Yeah, that was crazy. And yeah. they had on this list pharaohs and it's like they really they really it seems like did their research included everybody not just like the modern world where yeah. people could count their dollars in a bank account but like, like they Cleo, counted everybody Cleopatra was on there and uh, John Rockefeller and Carnegie were the top two yeah as well as 12 other people who who made the top 75 people ever to be yeah and that's that's crazy out of the billions and billions <laughs> of people who have lived on this earth yeah that that 14 of 75 came from the same circumstance, which, like, that cannot be ignored. There was obviously an opportunity there that they were able to take advantage of. And yeah. they used that same example with Bill Gates and Bill Joy, um, how they were born right, right, right about the same time in order to take advantage of the Internet and computer science. And that was, like, 1955, 1957, like a two-year span. Yeah. And he lists off a bunch of other famous people from the internet Steve Jobs they were all born within like two years mm -hmm. <clears throat> and how two or three years and how they had that little window of opportunity that allowed them along with all the work they put in but that opportunity was truly what separated them and allowed them to succeed yeah <clears throat> I don't really have anything else to add I don't think I thought it was a really great chapter just <clears throat> the fact that we, we don't always see the circumstances behind someone's success um, we oftentimes even ignore the hard work that they put in but we we don't realize that a lot of the uh, computer guys were born in the same couple of years we don't realize that the 14 richest people who've ever walked the earth uh, were born in the same decade, you know, or 14 of the top 75. I think that that's a huge advantage they had to be born at that time, um, at least as far as monetary success goes. Yeah. So. Yeah. The one last example that I would want to mention while we're wrapping up was the the study on the violinists they did and they took all these classical musician violinists who were studying at a school <clears throat> and they separated them into three groups those who played the best just elite players of the violin those who were still good but not the best and then those who were pretty mediocre course I'm sure they were still really good but for yeah. being in that school they were the mediocre ones or the, the bottom tier and they asked them how many hours they'd spent practicing and without exceptions without outliers the elite people had practiced about 10,000 hours by the age of 20 the next group about 8,000 and the mediocre group about 4,000 and there weren't any, like I said, outliers of people who had practiced a ton but still played poorly or people who had practiced little and still played in the elite group. There were not a single outlier. And that tracked across a lot of different things. They, they mentioned piano players. They mentioned chess. 
Um, that was a pretty crazy story. And I mean, part of this chapter too is just, I can't tell you how many times I've like wanted to get good at something and given up after an yeah. hour, less yeah. than an hour. I've had the thought and I haven't done anything on it. And to, to, to stick with something for that long is impressive, right? But they also talked about, to add to that, how 10,000 hours by the time you're a young adult is an insane amount of time. Yeah. And as an adolescent growing up or a child, like, you need help to get there, right? Like, Mozart didn't motivate himself every day to write music. I'm sure his parents were pushing him to do that. Yeah. And not to make any comment on, like, parenting styles or anything, because obviously parents can take it too far when they push their kids to do things, but... Um, you basically need parental support and you can't be poor because if you have to work a part-time job, that takes too many hours away to get your 10,000 hours in. By the time you're an adult, yeah. By the time, yeah. So all of that was impacted me because I just, I think that there really are a lot of factors into like the people we look at as successful, you know, you look at like these crazy good athletes coming out of high school or whatever. And, uh, almost without fail, they had a lot of things line up for them, <clears throat> which is like, that's, that's good. Good for them. Right. But there are definitely factors to what we picture as success that, we don't always take into account. And on a more personal note, I just, I feel not a personal note, but like my takeaway from this is, um, you just, you never really know how much work someone has put in either. Cause a lot of times you want to chalk it up to being lucky, or at least I do. And maybe that's like a bitter view of the world when I see, <laughs> you know, athletes who were younger than me and making millions of dollars <laughs> yeah but like while they did have things go right for them they also put in just a crazy amount of time to get where they are and uh that's just impressive anyone who dedicates 10,000 hours to, to anything so. have you have you ever watched any modern family i've seen the first couple seasons there's uh an episode where uh I forget the dad's name. Phil? Or yeah, the Phil, grandpa. Phil. Phil. Uh, where Phil's trying to teach Luke how to play baseball. He's like, yep, yeah, we're going to make him an expert. We're getting uh, getting our 10,000 hours in. And then Luke is just terrible. And it, it, he's like, Luke is like, uh, so how long do you think it'll take to get 10,000 hours or Phil, Phil asks Luke that, and Luke's like, I don't know, like a summer? <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Go get your 10,000 hours in. Peace.